Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching Meet Me in St. Louis. In the year leading up to the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, the four Smith daughters learn lessons of life and love, even as they prepare for a reluctant move to New York. Mm-hmm. 1944, again, one of our slightly unconventional Christmas films. Christmas plays an important part of the story, but it isn't the entire story. Now, is it Meet Me in St. Louis or Meet Me in St. Louis? It's both. Oh, interesting. If you're just talking, it's Meet Me in St. Louis. If you're talking about the song, it's Louis. Well. Yeah. So I, yeah, I've seen, I mean, it's Judy Garland, some musicals of sorts, and I've seen it. I've seen it. But you hadn't. No, I hadn't. And how do we? Of course, I hadn't. I never saw any of these old movies. No, this is probably one of the oldest films we've watched for this podcast. Yeah, it's close. I don't think we've gotten any further back than than the mid forties. So this is probably the oldest. I'll have to do some fact checking on that one. How did you feel about this? Solid movie. Yeah. Near the end, I'm a little done. It drags a little. And just we're like, okay, we get it. We should have like cut out just that little tiny chunk of the dance sequence at the end Mm -hmm. like we didn't need that whole random subplot thrown into it because that Mm. once we have the but once we have the climax of going to new york Mm -hmm. and then we need one little moment with the love interest and then we've got to hit the emotional high point but see like i like the dance sequence because that's where like lucille is the competition for warren and then they they realize, oh, no, Lucille is interested in Lon Jr., not Warren. So, like, that's where they've made the mistake. That's funny hijinks. Maybe I just missed that part. But, yeah. I mean, th- there is some there is some fun hijinks to it. It just drags. It, it starts to drag a little bit. I agree. Especially when we've hit a real emotional peak in the movie. Mm-hmm. To suddenly downshift into that feels real jarring. Yep. And then to try to come back up again. Mm. Overall, it's such an interesting story. It's such a non-conventional way to tell this story. Yeah, it's told seasonally. It fought against a lot of the tropes of not only their time, but 1904, mm-hmm. which I thought was really refreshing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like it's trying to long for the days of the 1900s yeah. so much as it is trying to tell this really interesting story of this family in that time. Yes. Which I think is really nice to see Mm -hmm. that's when these 40s movies really work for me and 30s movies is when they're not trying to like look back with nostalgia Mm -hmm. but they're instead just trying to give a really captivating story well i think that has to do that's just a lovely dovetail into our writers uh because it's definitely where this sings Sally Benson is the writer of the novel that this is based on. It originally ran as a weekly feature in the New Yorker magazine in 1942. And for the film, many of the actions attributed to Tootie were actually done in real life by Sally Benson's sister, Agnes. The novel is based on her life. She was called Tootie as a young child. There you go. So like, yeah, it's got an emotional through line. Benson, before this, she wrote Shadow of a Doubt. And after this film, she wrote Junior Miss, Anna and the King of Siam, Little Women. She was unaccredited, but she wrote that. Conspirator, No Man of Her Own, Summer Magic, Viva Las Vegas, and Signpost to a Murder, and The Singing Nun. 
Like, she has a lot more credits than that, but that's what I recognized. One of the problems with doing a movie from the 40s is that everybody has an obscene amount of credits, and I know almost none of them. Yeah, well... So I did my best. Well, and it's so hard because of the studio system. Yes. There are tons and tons and tons of movies well, out Some of there. these movies, some of these people were in like six movies in a year. Yeah. Constant back to back to back to back to back because that's the studio system. Yeah. You were contracted to do it. You had to go out there and make those movies. Pay or play contracts. <laughs> and half of those movies are lost. They're gone forever. We can't ever see them again. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are just kind of forgettable meh movies. Like there are great, legitimately incredible films that were made during that time. Yeah. There was also a lot of dreck. Yeah. And it's just hard to know what is really good and hidden and undiscovered in there. Mm-hmm. Also, as writers, we've got two screenplay credited. Irving Breacher, before this, he helped write Wizard of Oz, is unaccredited, At the Circus, and Go West and Ship Ahoy. After this, he did Zigfield's Folly, Summer Holiday, The Life of Riley, and Bye Bye Birdie. And then we also have Fred Finkelhoff. Before this, he did Brother Rat, Babes on Broadway, Best Foot Forward. And then after this, Mr. Ace, The King and I, Woods and Music, The Stooge, and My Boys Are Good Boys. So yeah, I mean, like, musical people. Makes sense. Yeah. Studio guys. They had good source material. That's what this is telling. Yes, they had really good source, great characters, and the framework in which they chose to tell the story is great. Let's take a slice from each season and look at it that way. That's interesting, and then we don't stay in anything too long. We don't. The other really cool thing, though, is that each of those scenes builds on the last. Mm -hmm. It could easily be vignettes in the life. Yes. And be fine. But each of those vignettes raises the stakes from the last one, building to a climactic story. And I mean, we just got done watching the vacation films. None of those fucking movies did that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, we haven't watched a movie like that in a while. So that's part of why it's exciting to see. Next, we've got our director. It's one, uh, Mr. I don't know if you heard of him. His name is Vincent Minnelli. Before this, he did Cain in the Sky, I Dude It, and The Heavenly Body. After this, he did The Clock, Zigfield's Follies, Yolanda and the Thief, Undercurrent, The Pirate, The Bride, Madame Bovary, Father of the Bride, Father's Little Dividend, An American in Paris, The Bad and the Beautiful, The Bandwagon, The Long Long Trailer, Brigadoon, Gigi, Bells Are Ringing, The Courtship of Betty's Father, Goodbye Charlie, The Sandpiper, On a Clear Day You Can See Forever in a Matter of Time. There's like at least five movies on that list that I'm going, yeah, I need to see that. God, I need to see that one. Uh Oh, man. The Pirate, we actually saw a little clip of when we went to go see Judy and we're like, I've never seen anything about that movie. It's got Gene Kelly in it. I want to watch that. It looks amazing. It looks great. They (laughs) have a fight that is adorable. I'm all with it. And I do need to see the original Father of the Bride because I love the one with Steve Martin. The one on that list that I I just know I'm going to like swoon over is an American in Paris. Yeah, that's also one that we really need to watch, too. We we really need to do a early musical series. People have just said everything I've heard is that is maybe the greatest movie musical of all time. Yeah. And I've never seen it. And that's a travesty. And it stars my boy. I know. It's got Gene Kelly's ass in it. I need that. <laughs> That's that's what I need. Okay. You're not wrong. <laughs> no. The entire cast and crew were immediately impressed with Vincent Minnelli's attention to detail in every shot. He consulted with Sally Benson on how the interiors of the Smith home should look, and she provided everything. And so the set was almost perfect to the time period. In fact, Mary Astor, who played the mom, uh, she said the 
only thing that was anachronistic was the girls' long hairstyles. Because at that time, girls would put their hair up on top of their head as soon as their parents would allow them. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I love that. There is that level of detail that you feel in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it never feels overdone. No. Costumes are beautiful. The coloring's gorgeous. I mean, that ugh, the dress Judy wears at the Christmas party is just, I'm like, I want that dress. Gorgeous. No. Uh-huh. But it feels like cinematically rich and not just like, oh, these are just super rich people. They are well off. That's true. But it doesn't feel overdone. It doesn't feel overdone. It feels like those are actual clothes they are wearing. Yeah. Not costumes. And that's something that didn't always happen in mm-hmm. those movies. There's a level at which you go, yeah, this feels a little ostentatious, mm-hmm. but you're a very wealthy family and you're able to have good fashion. Mm-hmm. And it feels like these are the clothes you would be living and being in. Yeah. And the costume designers took inspiration right out of Sears and Roebuck, Montgomery Ward, and the Marshall Fields catalog from the time period. So like they used their research well, and it feels that way. I love it. He does a great job directing this film. Like, it moves very well. It does. It looks good. You know, think about those long tracking shots with that with that horse-drawn carriage. They did that back in 1944. It's so gorgeous. Like, <laughs> like every everything in the movie is composed, and that's what great directors do. <gasps> you, you feel the composition of the image. Mm-hmm. For all the guff we give Kubrick about writing his fucking movies, mm-hmm. the way that we talk about, you know, framing the mm-hmm. image and how you're going to make it look. Yeah. And Manelli's doing that throughout this entire movie. Every shot and every scene is its own painting mm-hmm. that he is putting on the canvas for us to look at. Yeah. While at the same time telling an entertaining story. And like, that's something that's magical to me. When you're able to do both of those things really well together, that's what makes like a really great movie experience mm-hmm. for me. I agree. And I just think about like how many of those shots were they in front of a backdrop and they made it look three dimensional. And now like that's just a culmination of so many amazing talents. I just I love it. It makes me so happy. <laughs> so, so happy. Quick note about the financials on this film. The budget was $1.9 million. And in its original release, it made about $6.5 million, which again, 44 money. That's pretty good. And its cumulative worldwide gross during that time was $12.8 million. This was a box office smash. It made more money than any other MGM film released in 20 years prior, with the one exception of 1939's Gone with the Wind. I'm doing the math for the inflation. Oh, okay. Later. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. $1.8 million is roughly... million today. Okay. So that's a decent chunk of budget. That's a a small musical budget by today's standards. I mean, to me, it's screaming, this is is on par with like a La La Land, right? Maybe. Maybe. I hate La La Land, so. It's a bad bad comparison quality-wise, but in terms of what type of investment would have been put into it. Yes. We're talking about kind of an under-the-radar indie production that's going for high-quality musical. Okay, but what's that gross look like? The original 6.5 mil? Mm-hmm. That's $95 million. That's that's awesome. That's really good. So that means the 12 is... We're looking at around $187 million. Yeah, that's fucking amazing. <laughs> for what is essentially 
a middle tier production. Eat it, Gone with the Wind, except not because you were amazing. Or you're terrible. We'll have that fight eventually. Just saying. It's coming to our Patreon members eventually. Just saying. Ugh, you're the worst. Uh Huh? All right, well, let's get to our cast. Okay. All right, we got to start with the big name. The name that we love. One Judy Garland as Esther Smith. Before this... She was in Wizard of Oz, Babes in Arms, Strike of the Band, and Zigfield Girl. After this, she was in The Pirate, Easter Parade, Summer Stock, A Star is Born in 54, and her very last credit in 63 was I Could Go On Singing, She Died in 1969. But also sang her fucking art out. She sang till she died. For a long time. Yep. We were big fans of the film Judy, so go see that. Yes. Judy Garland recorded the trolley song in a single take. God damn it. Fuck yes. <laughs> She's such a fucking pro. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, yes. She uh, she is a fucking talent. There you go. That's it. She is a fucking talent. She, and she is such a complicated figure. She, <laughs> she really she, is. She she truly is because she was a victim of a lot. And then she also just made a lot of really shitty decisions as a person. Yeah, but she was never taught how to grow up. Yeah, I have an interesting note about that somewhere in my notes because uh, she was not great on this film. Judy Garland missed 13 days of work, causing the production to take 70 days to complete instead of the original budgeted 58 days. Did they say why she missed 13 days of work? Just me and Judy Garland. Okay. Apparently, uh, her and Mary Astor, who plays her mother, got into it a couple times. You know, she would just go in to her trailer and be like, you know, you've kept the entire company out there waiting for two hours. She would just show up late. She would also, she didn't want to rehearse. So she would leave, she would go get in her car and leave before notes could take place because she didn't want to do it. And actually, Vincent Minnelli would have her stopped at the studio gate. So like she just wasn't there. Now, she was still very much like addicted to the pills, the diet pills, and then the stuff to help make her sleep. And she was drinking like this was all in full swing here. Well, and she's Louis B. Mayer's prodigy. (laughs) To me, what this screams, and again, I'm not I'm not excusing the behavior, but what mm-hmm. it screams is a person that has been, from what we've seen in Judy and from what we've heard about, has been treated as a prodigy, both in abusive and also shining ways. Mm-hmm. And so she's been conditioned to think, I am the end-all be-all of this fucking studio. And based on the box office numbers... It's hard to argue that point. Yeah. Like, she kind of was for a real long time. So there's this element of, you can't fucking touch me. Mm -hmm. I can do whatever I think is best for me. And if you add in a toxic cocktail of drugs to that, I mean, it's just pure ego. Yep. That's all she has to run on. Uh, Mary Astor later said that if she had known the real like horrors that she had been going through, she may not have been so harsh on her. I'm sure. Yeah, but like you, when you act like an ass, fuck off. It's hard to convince anybody otherwise. Yeah. In the Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, Julie Garland refused to sing the original line, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, It May Be Your Last. Mm-hmm. To Margaret O'Brien, the line was dropped from the final version of the song. Yeah. And like when you're watching the film, you understand why she's saying that because this is their last Christmas here in St. Louis. But outside of that movie, that makes no sense. And it sounds really dark. Yeah, no, I've heard that story before. Yeah. And that change is part of the reason that's become a Christmas classic. Of course. 
because otherwise it may never have been. Now, mm-hmm. some intrepid writer may have come along being like, okay, we can make this a hit, but you got to get rid of that line. Mm-hmm. That's just not going to work. Judy Garland scoffed at the idea of portraying yet another teenager. She was 21 when filming began. She wanted nothing to do with the film. Her mother even went to Louis B. Mayer on her behalf. But Vincent Minnelli convinced her to play the part of Esther Smith. And Judy later fell in love with the story and considered it one of her favorite roles. I mean, I cannot blame her. Well, there's another another portion of this. And um, again, like a lot of this comes from both the Wikipedia and IMDb page. That's where we're reading some of this from. Right. Um, Vincent Minnelli wanted Garland to be seen as beautiful and womanly. Yeah. Not this sweet, precocious child. And so they hired makeup artist Dorothy Ponadel to bring out her actual beauty. She defined her eyebrow arches and she used some blush on her face. And then Garland for a long time had nose discs and dental caps on because it was to make her nose go up and have a different profile. And then, you know, she had crooked teeth. They got rid of those and then put like the more pronounced lip on her. And it's just like, no, you're a gorgeous woman. Let's work with that. And that is actually one of the reasons why Vincent Minnelli and Judy Garland got married. Yeah. She said, he made me feel beautiful. Yep. And he lit her in a way that made her look gorgeous. I mean, she looks gorgeous in this film. Oh, yeah. This is the Judy Garland that we've seen in The Mm -hmm. Wizard of Oz as this girlish character transforming into fucking Judy Garland. Yeah. Like, this is the Judy Garland people want to look like. And suddenly we're like, oh, shit, that's right. She's amazing, beautiful, and also beautiful in like a strong, confident not in just a I'm pretty sweet way. girl way. And then also she's got that voice. So like like you pack it all together. And what's also really great is that comes through in her performance. Mm-hmm. All of that work gave her the confidence to be able to pull that off because she is fucking bad ass in this movie. She is like Esther. She's got a lot of agency. And, like, we're still dealing with, like, 1904 politics in this film. Like, ladies, your job is to get married and, like, find a good man. But it's just so funny how, like, forthright Esther is about things. It's great. She is trying to fulfill her role, but when she does it, she has to do it in the least socially acceptable way possible. Well, and also, it's it's very much, I've been given a set of circumstances, and I'm going to make this shit work. <laughs> like, that's what it is. And, and so that's what makes it enjoyable to watch. She's magical. She's fucking hilarious in the movie. Mm-hmm. She's tough as nails. Yep. And she's the one who winds up being able to ride the emotional roller coaster Mm -hmm. of all of this better than anyone. Yep. And at the same time, there are always these moments where you still feel like her performance is saying, yeah, and also I'm still like 17. Mm -hmm. Like there are moments where I'm like, yeah, you're still a kid and you're playing that, Mm -hmm. but you're playing it with such a strong presence. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Next, we have Margaret O'Brien as Tootie Smith. Before this, she was in Jane Eyre and the Canterville Ghost. After this, she was in Little Women as Beth in 1949, The Secret Garden. She did a bunch of TV. She played Beth again in the Little Women TV movie in 1958. (laughs) Tons more TV. She was in Sunset After Dark, Dead in Love, Frankenstein Rising, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 2017, Prepper's Grove, This Is Our Christmas, an Impact Event. She's still with us, so she's still working. It's awesome. Yep. She's one of the few people in this cast who is still alive. (laughs) 
goofy little kid. She's adorable. Macabre as hell. Macabre is like, uh, she's got four terminal illnesses. Well, you only need one. It's adorable. She's just nuts. I was not prepared for how dark that kid was going to get. And it's amazing. And gets the emotional climax of the movie. She does. And in that scene where she sings with Esther when they do the, the cakewalk in the party, she holds her own. Like, yet the song is yeah. not good. It's not It's not good at all. We're not defending that in any way, shape, or form. The performance is good. Yeah. We just we went through the whole movie and I'm like, wow, they're they're not they're not going there. They're not doing and then they had that scene. I was like, damn it. Yeah. Nineteen forty four. Come on. Yeah, you suck. And the thing is, the sad part about it is is that one, you could have had any other song. Yeah, they could have done just about anything else. And I think it happened because they felt like it was important to the period. It's that, and I could also see a situation, and I, I don't have any facts or anything to back this up, but I could also see it being like, oh, this is an actual song we used to sing. It could have been pulled directly from Sally Benson's book. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's what it feels like. And also, like, people were racist as fuck. So, oh, yeah. like, it's not great. But the performance of the not great song is really, really good. Margaret O'Brien's adorable. She has to have enough spunk and charisma mm-hmm. to match all of the other actresses. Yeah, well, she's got to pull focus away from all of them, and she does. Yeah. She is adorable. A little spitfire. Margaret O'Brien's mother wanted more money for her to play Tootie in the film. The studio then cast the young daughter of a lighting man to work on the film, going as far to even fit her with costumes. Uh, then they changed their mind and decided to go ahead and cast Margaret O'Brien. O'Brien was playing a scene when that lighting man intentionally dropped a heavy spotlight on the soundstage, narrowly missing the young actress. He was taken away and actually admitted to a mental institution for a time for this deed. Yikes! Ah. According to Mary Astor, Margaret O'Brien liked to have fun with the prop master. Uh, <laughs> so like when they were shooting the dinner scene, they'd, you know, they'd set the table and then she would mess everything up. Love it. So and it would drive him nuts because she was a star and he was just the prop guy. So like he couldn't do anything other than say like, please, please don't do that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> like poor prop guy. Poor prop guy and naughty little kid. Vincent Minnelli was super impressed with her because her mom and her aunt would just whisper something in her ear before a scene and then she'd just do her bursting into tears thing and just she, like she could just go. There's a story that towards the end when she knocks over the snow people and is being really dramatic that Vincent Minnelli told her that her dog died. She had this sweet little dog. Oh. And that's how they got her to do that. And Margaret O'Brien completely denies this. She's like, there's no way in hell my mother would have told him to tell me my dog died. No. So like, it's just so interesting that like Vincent Minnelli was super concerned about making sure she wasn't being traumatized. And she's just like, la, 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 la. I'll cry and be dark and crazy. Like she really was tootie in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is precious. I just looked at this. She was born in 1937. Mm-hmm. She was seven fucking years old. Yep. That's it. I, what? Mm-hmm. That's nuts. Apparently, Judy Garland was very concerned about Margaret O'Brien. She was worried that she was being overworked and she was missing out on her childhood because, you know, that was her life. However, O'Brien said in a 2004 interview that she appreciated Garland's concern, but that wasn't the case. She loved her time acting and the child labor laws 
had been strengthened in the time since Garland had been an underage star. Yep. She said, Tootie was a lot of fun because I could do a lot of things I maybe wouldn't normally do myself. And she was really kind of bratty and mischievous. And I loved playing Tootie. Yeah. So that's great. I love that. All right. Next, we have Mary Astor or Mrs. Anna Smith, the mom. She started in 1921 and was in a ton of films that I don't recognize. So I'm not going to list any. After this, she was in Little Women in 1949 as Marmy, the mom. She was in Any Number Can Play, ton of TV, A Kiss Before Dying, even more television. And her last credit was Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte in 1964. And she died in 1987 at the age of 81. She is the original Hollywood starlet. She's amazing. Yep. Uh, She's gorgeous. Didn't have too much information about her as a person, but she's fabulous as mom. Like, I love... Okay, like, I know this is a trope where it's like, dad is oblivious to everything that's going on in the house. (laughs) And, like, I I do kind of like the manipulative mom wife. (laughs) It's just kind of fun. And that whole thing with the ketchup. Too spicy, too sweet, too bland. <laughs> like I just, I, I just like all of that. It's really enjoyable. It's good slice of life. What makes her performance so great and so incredibly necessary is that she is the grounding for all of these wild characters. Yes, because you've got Rose being very overdramatic about this Warren situation. You've got Esther, who's just spitfire. You've got Agnes, who's crazy. And Tootie, who's morbid as fuck. And then you've got Grandpa, who's just Grandpa. <laughs> he's just grandpawing around. And he's grandpawing around. He's got a fez on, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> and, it's just, and then you've got Katie the maid, and it's just like, someone's got to be chill. Someone's got to be chill. She's, Someone's got to be in charge. She's the Ann Perkins in this group. Yep. That's who she is. And what makes it so amazing is how restrained and thoughtful and real her performance is. Yeah. It could feel way out of line, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It feels exactly at home with all these characters being their own unique character selves and her in the middle of it being the bedrock of the home. Yeah. And like, it's just so great. Next, we have Lucille Bramer as Rose Smith. That's the sister. Before this, she was in Penny Arcade and This Love of Mine. Both were short films. After this, she was in Zigfield Follies, Yolanda and the Thief, Adventures of Casanova, and Behind Locked Doors. She didn't do a whole lot after. She's lovely. I like her next to Judy Garland. Yeah, they're playing opposites. Uh, Not so much opposites, but just like she's a slightly older sister. and. She's a little more reserved than the Esther character. And I just like them together because you can like they feel very evenly met, even though Rose doesn't sing the way Esther does. It's just kind of like I just don't feel any competition between them as actors or as characters. And so I, I enjoyed them on screen together. They feel like their own individual characters who happen to be in orbit around each other. Uh-huh. And you're right in the restraint. She uses a lot of the same tactics as Esther, but in a passive way instead mm-hmm. of an active way. Mm-hmm. Esther is incredibly forward and active and taking action on these things. And Rose is just kind of waiting to see what guy is going to take interest. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this back and forth. Next, we have Leon Ames as Mr. Alonzo Smith. That's dad. Uh, he started in 1931 also with a bunch of stuff. I don't recognize. <laughs> After this, he was in Son of Lassie, Anchors Away, Yolanda and the Thief, Lady in the Lake, Crisis, Life with Father on television, Father of the Bride on television, Mr. Ed as Gordon Kirkwood, 
My Three Sons, and his last credit is Peggy Sue Got Married in 1986. He passed away in 1993. Oblivious. Again, he's playing a, a tropey dude, tropey dad, but he does it so well. Like uh, that whole like, why are we eating so early? We don't shave the corned beef. We slice it. Like it's just so absurd. Well, if Katie needs me, I'll be in the bath. Yeah, it's just so funny. <laughs> like, he's just, you know, I'm a dad around. And then it's like, no, mister, you have a wife and four daughters. This is and not. This how, is not your house. This is not how being a dad works. <laughs> this is not your house, sir. You are wildly outnumbered. You have your grandpa and your son, but nope, <laughs> the ladies are in charge. It's just like so many dads don't ever realize it was like that. That ain't ever how it goes down. So I don't have any trivia about him in this movie, but he, along with 18 other actors, held the meeting to organize the Screen Actors Guild in 1933. He held SAG card number 15. Solid fucking darity, So man. that's pretty cool. That's cool. That's one of this dude, so. Good on you. Next, we have Tom Drake as John Truitt, the boyfriend. Before this, he was in Our Town, Two Girls, and a Sailor, Maisie Goes to Reno. After this, he was in Courage of Lassie, I'll Be Yours, Words and Music, Mr. Belvedere Goes to College, Disc Jockey, A Bunch of TV, Betrayed Women, Date with Disaster, and The Singing Nun. Well, he's very handsome. He's handsome. He's a little bland. Yes. But I think that's okay. It's fine. He gets his moments. Like, you know, after getting punched in the fucking jaw, he gets a few little digs at Esther. Yeah. And she has to come apologize. <laughs> At the end of the film, when John Truett, referring to the fairground, says, I liked it better when it was a swamp and it was just the two of us, refers to a deleted scene. Uh. That scene took place after the trolley song when John and Esther visit the fairgrounds under construction. The scene was a setting for the Rodgers and Hammerstein song, Boys and Girls Like You and Me, which was dropped from the final print. So that's kind of cool. I kind of wish we had the scene if we didn't have the song. Maybe. I don't know. It's all right. Next, we have Marjorie Maine as Katie, the maid. Before this, she was in The Women, Two Thoroughbreds, Barnacle Bill, Honky Tonk, Heaven Can Wait, Johnny Come Lately. After this, she was in eight Ma and Pa Kettle films because she is Ma Kettle. She was also in Summerstock, Fast Company, and The Long, Long Trailer. She's phenomenal. Well, she is playing a Ma Kettle kind of character. She kind of is. She's just the, I just, I love her. She's just so funny as the maid because she's just like no nonsense. Well, sort but of. But also up for nonsense. You tell me why I'm lying to your mom. Why am I doing this again? Why is this worth it? All right, I guess. Yeah, it's great. She seems so no nonsense. And then in the, in the middle of the phone call, she's got her head sticking out looking at Alonzo. She wants to know what's up. It's like, okay, Miss Snoopy. She wants to know what's going on. <laughs> um, she had been known to wear white gloves and a surgical mask for fear of germ contamination. Okay. Um, yeah. To each their own, man. If that's your thing, I understand. Mm-hmm. And then we have Harry Davenport as Grandpa. He started in 1913. He was in Jack London, Kismet, The Impatient Years, and The Thin Man Goes Home. After this, he was in This Love of Ours, Too Young to Know, Courage of Lassie, G.I. War Brides, Lady Luck. And he was also in the 1949 Little Women as Dr. Barnes. That's three people from this film who were in that film. Why am I not surprised? Yeah, it makes sense. They were all great. I love Grandpa. Grandpa's great. He's just grandpawing around. He's just grandpawing there's, around. There's nothing, other, there's nothing more to say than that. I, I kind of wish there had been more Grandpa. There's so many characters and so much going on. If you had more grandpa, you'd probably have to add another 10 to 15 minutes to this movie. Like I said, it already kind of drags, though 
he does get this wonderful moment where he pulls Esther aside, passes her mm-hmm. off to dance, and out she comes with her boy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's a pretty great grandpa moment. Yeah. All right, trivia. Trivia. The success of the film had encouraged MGM to create further movies, including the Smith family, and was to be based on further tales of Sally Benson's family. They wanted to make, like, a serial, kind of similar to the Andy Hardy series. And so, like, the proposed sequel title was Meet Me in Manhattan, and that was for the family actually moving to New York, which actually happened to Sally Benson's family. However, the project never got off. I mean... It's unnecessary. I, I love the way it ends. I do, too. Like, they're just like, no, we're staying here because this is our home. Well, and just after all of that emotion and it exploding, Mm -hmm. you also need the moment of dad finally going, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a great opportunity, sure, but. Well, then it's just like that whole thing, like, in our very own backyard. Yeah. Like, this is the greatest place in the world. Which is a little cheesy, but, like, sometimes that's how you feel about your hometown when it's really cool. Like. We live in Dallas, and there are some things about living in Dallas that super fucking blow. But every now it's kind of like, I like where we live. I do. Sometimes it's stupid, but sometimes I I like it. Also going on at the time of the 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exposition were the third Summer Olympic Games. They were the first Olympic Games to be held in the United States. And originally, they were awarded to Chicago. But Theodore Roosevelt, president at the time, had the game switched to St. Louis so that they would run at the same time as the World's Fair. Yep. This turned out to be a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Because the games were basically a side attraction to what was going on at the fair. And it became just like a giant disaster. It took nearly six months to complete and they were very poorly run. So most of the competitors went to their grave without knowing that they had competed in the actual Olympics. <laughs> Because, like, between that and what was going on at the fair, they're just like, I don't know what was going on. I don't know what I was doing in St. Louis. <laughs> and it was a result of these games. The Olympic movement almost came to an end. Oh, my God. Somebody has to make this movie. That would be an amazing film. It's it's a just Steven- about the calamity of all of that. This is a Steven Soderbergh movie waiting to happen. Uh-huh. It's genius. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love it. It's great. The Halloween sequence on the street outside the Smith home was primarily filmed from low angles that the movie audience would experience the Halloween night as though they were seeing it through the eyes of a child. When Tootie embarks on her adventure to the Brockow home, the houses appear to be large and looming. Yep. That scene is so fucked up. (laughs) It is fucking twisted. That moment threw me a little bit. Mm -hmm. So part of it is, I know the time period we're set in. Mm -hmm. And there's some coding there, namely with possibly Jewish people, Mm -hmm. where I'm going, oh boy, I don't think they're talking about this. I mean, we're still in the middle of the war, so I don't know, you know, how much we're getting into that or not, but like, there's a big part of me that's going, oh shit, these are Mm -hmm. like really awful anti-Semitic tropes we're flirting with here. And I think at the end, it it really doesn't do that at all. It's showing this dark moment from a child's perspective, which would be both thrilling and a little traumatic. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of awesome that they were willing to go there with that. Mm -hmm. It just, again, 1904, you can't ever trust it completely. Yeah. 
The trolley song was inspired by a caption in a book about the history of St. Louis. The book had a page with a picture of the turn of the century trolley car, and it said, clang, 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 went the jolly little trolley. I mean, it's a great line. I don't don't know how you don't do that. The 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exposition has been claimed to some as the birthplace of the ice cream cone. Makes sense. Yeah. By the time Vincent Minnelli started editing the film in post-production, according to his biography, he and Judy Garland were living together. (laughs) So that was happening. I mean, again, like you said, this is the first time anyone ever made her feel like she was wanted. Mm Mm-hmm. While the film chronicles one year in the life of the Smith family, and actually only six days are represented in the telling of the story. Three in summer, Halloween, Christmas Eve, and one morning in spring. That's just solid writing, man. That's just like really good storytelling. Because again, the fact that you were able to build it upon itself Mm -hmm. by just focusing on those days, it's insane to me. Mm -hmm. It's really good writing. While most audiences remember Judy Garland singing Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas to Margaret O'Brien, there are in effect three characters in that scene. Director Vincent Minnelli subtly casts a shadow on John's outer window grill across from Esther. And as she approaches the song's bridge, Esther begins to sing upward towards John's window, intimating that she wouldn't leave her family and remain in St. Louis with him. Oh. Yeah, that's very sweet. Very subtle. I didn't catch that at all. No, if you watch it, you can see it. It's just good movie making. This film has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. All right. Awards. Awards? This film was nominated for four Oscars. I'm not shocked. No. Cinematography for a color film. It was up against Wilson, CoverGirl, Home in Indiana, Kismet, Lady in the Dark. The winner was Wilson. I I like any of these movies. Like I don't know any of them. Okay. It was nominated for Scoring of a Musical. It was up against Brazil, CoverGirl, Higher and Higher, Hollywood Canteen, Irish Eyes Are Smiling, Knickerbocker Holiday, Lady in the Dark, Lady Let's Dance, The Mary Monahans, Minstrel Man, Sensations of 1945, Songs of the Open Road, and Up in Arms. Jesus Christ, put some limits on it. This is why they started limiting things to five. I know. There's uh, only one movie I've heard of because it's like socially relevant, and that's Hollywood Canteen. The winner was CoverGirl. Okay. All right, music's uh, best original song. Uh, Going My Way from Swinging on a Star. I Couldn't Sleep a Wink Last Night from Higher and Higher. I Walk Alone from Follow the Boys. I'm Making Believe from Sweet and Lowdown. Long Ago and Far Away from Cover Girl. Now I Know, Up in Arms. Remember Me to Carolina from Minstrel Man. Rio de Janeiro from Brazil. Silver Shadows and Golden Dreams from Lady Let's Dance. Too Much Love from Song of the Open Road and the Trolley Song from Meet Me in St. Louis. Okay. The winner was Going My Way from Swinging on a Star. I think I've heard the name Going My Way, so. Oh, yeah. Some of those, some of those, I was like, okay, at least I kind of recognize the song title. And last, writing for adapted screenplay, Going My Way, Doubled Indemnity, Gaslight, Laura, and Meet Me in St. Louis. The winner was Going My Way. Interesting. However, this film did win an Oscar. Oh, did it? Margaret O'Brien was awarded a special Oscar for Best Child Actor. Same award Judy Garland won. It's very interesting and kind of cool. Yeah, I kind of wish they did that a little bit more because I feel like that would keep them from nominating children, <laughs> which like, I know that sounds bad, but it's also like it becomes this weird phenomenon around a child and it's just like... I like the idea of there being a special Oscar for when someone who is so young does something that 
amazing, like a Dakota Fanning. She doesn't need to be put up against other actors like that. But like, let's just award this really crazy phenomenon. So yeah, that's Meet Me in St. Louis. We've got to come up with the ratings. um, How many trolleys are we going to give it? That's a great number to give. It's Uh, your movie. I'm going to do a 4.5. Like it it just drags that tiniest little bit. And I'm just like, I just kind of want to fast forward through like 20 minutes of this film. And then it's perfect. I, I like the story. I love the performances. Uh, I like the songs because I love musicals. And it's a 4.5 for me. I've got to agree with you. Oh, damn it. Well, I can't I can't go higher. Um, yeah, because there is it's, that. It's that, not like, a five. Oh. And then I can't go lower. The more we talked about it, the more we were just like, they were good. And this was good. And this was great. And I'm like, what do I have to complain about here? Mm-hmm. Other than I'm a little tired of it before we get to the real good ending. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. well, 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 mm-hmm. I guess we're done with Christmas. Oh, wait. Yeah. So these are our Christmas movies, but there's all this shit on Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus now because that's a thing. <laughs> and so we've been watching those throughout the season a little bit, like just like one here and there, just kind of background. But we wanted to give you some of our thoughts on some of the newer ones. And let you know which ones might be worth it when you're stuck at your family's house and you need something to watch with them or you're stuck on a plane and you want to know what to download. So next week, we're going to have like four or five of the streaming films to talk about. It's going to be interesting, but fun. Yep. So what did we see this week? Mm, Let's talk about it. All right, this week we saw Honey Boy. A young actor's stormy childhood and early adult years as he struggles to reconcile with his father and deal with his mental health. So this is the Shia LaBeouf film and has like Shia LaBeouf is actually really amazing in it. He's playing a version of his father. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of autobiographical. Yeah, I think he's talked about it where it is it is inspired. It's semi-autobiographical. It's a tone poem more than a biography. Like he's trying to get at something deeper than just telling the story of dealing with this. Mm-hmm. I really liked it. I did too. Um, it's a hard movie. It's not that hard, but it's not great. <laughs> Definitely like neglected, unloved child things. Oh, straight um, up abused as well. Oh, absolutely. But told with with the complication, you really get the feeling from Shia that he wants to portray it warts and all, mm-hmm. and that he still has a love for this man. Well, I, the relationship between the son and the father is very complex, and they both need and want something from each other that has nothing to do with a father-son relationship. Yeah. And- that is a very mature perspective for somebody to have lived through that to have looking back because this is Shia's his experience. And so it's done very well. Shia's performance is actually really impressive. Lucas Hedges is also really great. And then the boy who plays young Otis. Noah Jupe. Noah Jupe, who was in Ford versus Ferrari, who was also great in that. He did a wonderful job. Everybody's doing a really good job acting in the mm-hmm. film. The name Alma Harrell, the director of this movie, uh-huh. deserves some more recognition, has recently been very vocal about the lack of female representation. 
in the directing categories this year. Yeah, that's pretty normal. I don't I don't know how I feel about her direction. I have to think about it a little bit more. She's not wrong that there should have been more female directors nominated. Yeah. Um, or, you know, one. But, well, I, I don't know. I have to think on that a little bit more. It was a good film. It'll be interesting to see if it gets like a screenplay nod. To me, this screams best original screenplay for Shia LaBeouf. Not a win, but... A nomination. Perhaps a nomination. And perhaps a nomination for his performance, depending on how much buzz this gets going forward. I I think it's a stretch for him. I would agree with that. I don't, since Golden Globes, if this had come out earlier in the season and he had done like a little bit of campaigning, I could have seen him getting a Golden Globe nomination. But I will also say I'm impressed with a a little bit of the courage it took to write this story Mm -hmm. the way he did and be as open about it as he was. And also the fact that he's not really campaigning it. He's like, I made this movie. It feels really personal. I hope you go see it. He's kind of one of those people who hates Hollywood. And I can understand why. Some of it's his own fault. That's fair. <laughs> he's he's clearly a part of that problem. He's a complicated person. Uh, <laughs> As this movie would tell us. This movie would lead you to understand how that could have happened. Yep. Next, we saw Knives Out. A detective investigates the death of a patriarch of an eccentric, combative family. This movie was so fun. It's great. It is exactly what I wanted it to be, which was Clue meets Murder on the Orient Express. And they actually call out those references in the film. They call out so many references. Ryan Johnson does his damnedest to throw wrenches in the in the plot tropes. When he can, but then still drives right back to the feeling of it. It's ju- it's just such an enjoyable film, and it's gorgeous. Oh yeah, like the colors are so rich and lived in, and I it's just beautiful. And I love Ryan Johnson. And while I don't entirely agree with the Golden Globe nominations it's received, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, really okay, but this is a wonderful movie, so I'm just happy. Give it some technical nominations, and we need to see what else is happening, but this could easily, for me, get an original screenplay nomination. I would love that. Because I think that's where this movie shines in a lot of ways. That may be a cinematography nod. There's been some really cool posts going on about like how they made sure that the reflections in everyone's glasses was appropriate, which is really cool, and you don't always think about that. They were shouting out the grips of all people who figured out how to do that. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I love that. And the costuming needs needs a, a nomination for me, for sure. I desperately want the Ensemble Award from the Golden Globes to get in the Academy, because this movie is so perfectly tailor-made for that. Not one person is outshining the other in what they're doing, it's- even though they're all giving wildly different performances. Yeah, it's very, very well balanced between the entire cast. And to make a movie like this, you have to have that. You have to have people who are over the top in their own way. So I love it. I I just, I enjoyed it a lot. It's outstanding. It's just fun. Go Go see see it. it. All right. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.